I am a little more positive on humanity. They're sort of separating smart people and dumb people. <laughs> Welcome back to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, a podcast for product managers, marketers, innovators, and entrepreneurs. I'm Nils Davis. And I'm Rob McGrody. In this episode, Nils and I discuss two main topics. The first is advising, when to begin advising, how to begin advising if you think you're ready for it, and as a company or a person looking for an advisor, how do you find the right fit and how do you make sure that it's a good, mutually beneficial relationship? The other main topic we discuss is the one we'll begin with right now, and that's the know versus think you know curve. It's a very interesting idea that gets at the heart of whether somebody is truly knowledgeable in an area or whether they think they're knowledgeable in an area. We'll dive right in. What was the impetus for you to think, oh, this would make a good podcast episode? Uh, okay. I've had the wonderful opportunity recently to speak at the product school. I've been a mentor a couple times. I've had people reach out to get specific feedback. Uh, a couple companies have reached out to have me as an advisor. On the one hand, I'm like, yeah, totally. I can do this. I'm going to add a whole bunch of value. And then the other part of me is like, wait, wait, should I be that excited? Should I actually feel like I'm giving them stuff? Should I kind of pause and go, are you prepared for this? Are you just enthusiastic because somebody reached out? right? Is the external validation the same as the true validation? Or is it really a signal of knowing things? That then raised the question of where do you stop and check along the road, right? Are you really prepared to give other people advice? Or do you need to kind of say, oh, actually, I don't, I don't think that I'm going to be able to give you much value. I don't think I'm really the right person. And where's sort of the, the internal check for that? Good, good. Um, talk about how you sort of came to that conclusion for particular situations. You know, so what what you assessed and what your the results of your assessment were. Yeah, so I'm not sure who it was and I do need to find the person to attribute this to even if it's not original to them, but I've stuck with this image of the no versus think you know curve. And it's if you imagine like a scale from 0 to 10 and you say like 0 to 10 uh, both on both axes, right? You can have the bell-shaped mm -hmm. curve in the middle, normal distribution, 0 to 10, and let's say the peak is at 10, right? Right in the middle at 5. Okay. Uh, everybody knows what a bell-shaped curve looks like. Great. Then behind it or on top of it, whatever, put a slightly concave curve, but effectively a flat slope of 1 that goes from the origin to 10, 10, right? So over the course of 10 units, mm -hmm. time-wise, we'll call it time or we'll call it, you know, whatever, uh, x-axis, you get to the point of 10. The straight line is what you actually know, or the, the one that ends up at 10, 10 is what you actually know as you continue on. The bell-shaped curve is what you think you know, <laughs> which is interesting, and okay. I think it applies to most cases where, to me, the Dunning-Kruger effect is exactly that. The Dunning-Kruger effect would almost say that the the top of the the peak of the bell shaped curve is actually at the origin. That at when you don't know when you actually don't know anything, you think you know everything. And then when you actually know I everything, I am a you little more positive on humanity. They're sort of separating smart people and dumb people. I'm sort of saying that everybody goes through different <laughs> topics as a phase and like an evolution. 
So anybody who's moderately self-aware, they start out somewhere on the left side of the curve. Whether they're below or above doesn't really matter. But at some point they go, huh, I know a little bit, but I don't know a lot. I need to learn more or I want to, to learn more faster, right? Or understand this. And then as you climb up the think you know curve, it feels like you're gaining traction really quickly, right? And you can see this in people that say that they change jobs because they feel like they learned all they, they needed to know or they weren't going to learn any more from that particular position or that particular industry um, or the people who start making sweeping generalizations about anything, right? That's the people who are skyrocketing up the left side of the bell-shaped curve. It's important to recognize that So to me, there's a positive side of that, which is you only progress through the middle portion of the actually knowing curve if you're able to uh, sort of chunk things down. So you make those rules of thumb, you start generalizing a couple topics because it's impossible as humans for us to try and remember every single detail. And in most cases, people who eventually get over the curve will have those, those general rules or those chunked topics. And then as they start coming down the other side of the curve, they'll start to unpack them. So the people that get stuck on the left side of the curve are the ones who go, oh, I know everything about business. I need to go and, and learn something new. Or I know everything about this industry. Uh, it all boils down to X, Y, or Z. But I hear it a lot from anybody who tries to be an expert in an industry too early, I guess would be the point. And I, actually, I think this is a great example of, I, think, I personally think Agile is in this state or got into this state, right? Where people became experts at doing development projects and they said, oh, we think that the reason we were successful was X, Y, and Z. And we're going to call that X, Y, and Z agile. And then later on, when you look at it, you say, oh, well, X, Y, and Z, they don't work for normal people. It turns out the, the, the reason you guys got so good is you were really, you were really, really good at it. And you just, by being good, you did good. And so the theory you had about why you were being good was not correct. <laughs> and there's a, and, and you need a different theory about how to get good. And I think this is a, this is something that's happened in in agile, and and it unfortunately it it hid some of the benefits of agile or the realities of agile for quite a while. The, some of those things that I think are are surfacing. So just an example from my own, you know, my own experience uh, about this curve. So how are we? So I think we've already covered some of it. We can probably take. A couple examples and uh, and just talk about what it sounds like to be on both sides. the The use of this curve for me is to check where I'm at on either side of the think you know curve, as well as to evaluate those around me to know what which side they're on. And it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody on the left side is wrong, just that you need to sort of be globally aware of where they're at in understanding and and sort of the hubris associated with learning. And an example would be mathematics or physics where you can go through all of your high school undergrad type work and be just skyrocketing up the left side of the curve and thinking, man, how how have we not figured out everything to do with physics? And then you start going down the other side and you get into things like string theory or uh, theoretical physics or all these sort of intangible, we need to ask questions, not assume answers. And you find that all the experts in any of these really hard sciencey fields suddenly don't believe that anything holds true, right? They, they're like, uh, yeah, none of those rules that made sense before, all Newtonian physics, they're gone. It doesn't make sense. Because once we get into the really large complexities, they all fall apart. 
going taking it back to agile agile works in some ways but if you if you make it about if you make agile about the methodology scrum or whatever it is you're that's not what makes it work what makes it work is a different thing and scrum is sort of a a, a version of a theory that helps make it happen but it's not happening because of scrum it's happening because of something else that acts that scrum has a side effect of i mean that's just that i mean sorry that it's a side effect of scrum that it works it's not because of scrum for example that's just an example right um and so yeah so i think that's a, it's very interesting and and it's certainly something that we have to that we're constantly facing as product managers is we think we know why something is happening or or what will cause something to change right what will cause a customer experience to be better or what will cause a customer to buy something. And we often say that, you know, think we, we know that because of, of our own understanding or theory about the world. And in fact, our theory about the world or understanding is, is faulty. Um, and if it, if it's not fault, if it, if, if our decision happens to be right, it's often. Yep. It's ironic that somebody who's actually responsible for reviewing a product strategy or listening to the inputs of a PM they actually prefer people to make left side of the curve statements because it seems like you know more. It seems like you've got everything under control and there's a, a pathway through the dark. When in reality, I think anybody really close to the customer or who really asks the right questions is constantly going to answer any proposed question on the right side of the curve. Well, you know, I think this might be it, but I don't really know. And although that may be the more correct answer, and that answer is being driven from actually more true knowledge, it's not as widely accepted, it's not as easily accepted, it's typically seen as inferior to somebody who's on the top of the left side of the curve, like, you know, four, four and a half along this distribution, who just says, oh yeah, everything everything goes this way. So it's very interesting. Of course, the flip side of that is if, if somebody on the, that right side of the curve says, yes, this will work. Then they have a, oftentimes a reasonable understanding, and they know enough to, to be able. But to I find say, that not too that many assertion. people say yes, this will work, right? They go, "This seems like the best guess. I've got a little support for it. I would say we should go for it." But you know, there's there's variables. Somebody on the left side goes, "Yeah, uh, I've seen a couple points that support this, so it'll work." Okay, this this is really interesting. So maybe we can tie it back to advising because I think this is where the question came up for you originally. So how do you use this? Um, it, you mentioned that you had a, a couple of specific issues with the advising or not issues, or, but sort of questions that you asked yourself. One was, should I be an advisor? Do I do I know enough or you know, am I in the right place on the curve or can I manage my position on the curve? And then the other, of course, is when you do give advice, um, how do you whenever something does start idea. to develop right and there's sort of a a consistent conversation or times when i'm sure you've seen it where you know that half an hour call turns into 10 or 15 emails and then a couple of coffees and then all of a sudden somebody's asking you to be related or you know to be involved a little more formally or more frequently that's the point where i want to go all right ego check is this something that i'm interested in doing because it's providing me benefit? Or am I interested in doing it because I think I can actually benefit them? And although there may be benefit to me, the first and foremost, in order to make sure it's successful is to say, can I actually benefit them? 
And when I say yes, I go, am I on the left side of the curve or the right? So I think that's the same for every role. And to me, one piece where a lot of a lot of others that I hear go wrong is, again, this is sort of me assuming I'm on the right side of the curve and I really understand what's going on. Uh, they sort of jump in when they are on the left side and they don't stop to consider where they're at and how they should approach something. It's a little bit of a hammer meets nail. A hammer turns everything into a nail situation. You know, I I learned something and now I'm going to help everybody use that thing that I learned as the solution to everything. That that'd be how I would characterize that, which may be a little simplified simple oversimplification, but I think this has been really interesting, Rob. And so let's maybe you have uh three pieces of advice for people to put this act put this into action. And I, what I was thinking was maybe uh, some advice for people that are looking to be advisors, some people advice for the people who are advisors and some advice for people if you who are looking for gain an advisor. an advisor, that advisor is gaining information, not just about the company, but about the types of questions you're asking, the problems you're coming up on, the solutions that end up working. It's actually very valuable to the advisor if they're if they have a broad enough perspective to realize it. I mean, so much of advising is is being a learner as well, right? So you say, oh, there's a situation that I hadn't thought about. Let me see if I can make my theory. It's a little bargaining point for anybody out there who's looking for advisors. There's a value to us or anybody who's you know receiving the questions and giving the answers that nobody really talks about, right? If you're on the receiving end of a question, it's adding value to your perspective as well, right? If somebody has a question about something, it must be confusing. So if you're willing to stop and go, huh, I wonder why so many people are confused about this. Is there something I'm missing when I think there's a simple answer? You're actually growing as as somebody in that topic, right? Because anybody who can give the exact same answer to 25 questions and not stop for a moment and go, huh, why has nobody else figured out this answer, even though I've told it 25 times? From my perspective, people who are looking to be advisors should just go and get involved in discussions. It goes back to that flow of uh, give before you're asked to give and give when you believe there's impact. So to me, that's take the experience you have, summarize it, get as close to the top of the curve or the right as you can with your own experience, and then just get out and start talking to people. I would even say this is experiential learning, right? You're going to go out and say some things, and it's going to test your theories. It's going to test whether you know anything. Um, and you, you probably do know something, and you, it will help you, you know, figure out what you know, what you don't know, how, how well your theory applies. Um, yeah, so and, and some examples of that are, are we talked about this PM Slack channel. Exactly. Or, and I've done that a couple times. I tried to make them very neutral in terms of my conviction because it's only my perspective. So although I have an opinion, although I think something, it's still just my opinion and my perspective. But those that find it valuable, ideally, they'll engage in a conversation. And the beginning stages of that, to get back to the original question of what do you do when you're interested in advising, is do that. Give the advice you think is useful. Don't give any more because it's not useful by definition and wait to see if it makes sense. 
don't push people into a contract. Don't try to make it formal right away. I don't think it makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm some, I do similar things to you. As you know, I answer questions on that Slack channel that we keep talking about and I blog and, and, um, and I also do this thing. I have this thing where anybody can call me for half, get set up a half an hour call with me to ask me about what, whatever they want. But obviously it's normally about product management related things. And, uh, yeah, it's been really good. And most of that has not turned into any sort of business. Not that I even really have an advising business, but I am an advisor to a few, a few folks, but it's just, it, it's also, I find it's really great to test my own knowledge and to test my own insights and my ability to communicate effectively about those. So there's a lot of things. And of course, you know, we, you and I have talked about one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast, which is we want better products in the world. And if I have to give some of my time to make that happen, that's awesome. I'm totally happy to do that. <laughs> that's my payback. I personally prefer to do it one-on-one -on -one or during discussion because then it's not sort of this big public statement. As soon as as soon as you're willing to go and like answer a question on Quora for a million people to read, I feel like you're kind of on the left side of the curve. But that's just me. Right. Okay. I think that's an excellent idea. Get started small and uh, do it do it for free. Try to establish some credibility in conversations, in individual conversations, and in Quora or Medium, something like that, or a blog. Second, the second point was for um, somebody who is being an, who sort of is in that situation of someone has asked them, ask him or her to be an advisor, and they feel that they have some things to that are valuable, and probably have had some conversations with the advisee, where the advisee says, "Yeah, that was pretty valuable." Any warnings or things that that would probably be a good practice for that person to pay attention to. Yeah, I think that's the perfect time to hit the ego breaks, which is very hard to do. That's right when you have to kind of stop and go, okay, they're finding value from what I say. Is it because of what I said? Is it because I actually know what I'm talking about? Is it just flattering me into feeling like I'm more valuable than I am? And at that point, you kind of stop and go, am I on the left side or the right side of the curve? Am I okay with whichever side I'm on? Right? And can I express to this other person where I'm at and what I'm comfortable asserting? Right. And I think there's another potential thing that, that you might be doing, which is we talked about that about this earlier, is you're you're outside the echo zone. And so simply being an outsider and listening and responding reasonably may be valuable in itself without the without you actually having provided a good theory. So that and, and there's there's no nothing wrong with that. That's what a psychol I mean, that's just in some ways what a psychologist does, right? Psychologists do have a lot of theory, but a lot of the value of psychologists is you're listen, you're listening to someone and helping them think through their problem. So I, I would almost sort of extend expand that to say that a lot of what the value that you're providing as an advisor is not your theories, but the fact that you're outsider. Or that you are an outsider. Right? Right. And so in that case, it's not bad to be on the left side of the curve. It just means you need to be aware of that and you need to tell the other party that so that they're not looking at you for amazing answers that solve all their problems. Instead, they're looking at you correctly 
as somebody who has a different perspective, who can ask the right questions and can give those sort of broad sweeping statements in a, in a questioning way, right? Now, now, do you think it's actually important to tell your advisee that you're in, that you recognize you're in this state? My my feeling, uh, I, I sort of feel like because I'm pretty far on the curve, I would say most of the time I feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I like I'm not certain. Like my theories are pro forma or de facto; they're not proven. They're just things that seem to have worked, right? And so, if I put up a blog post, for example, about and say, here's the thing that I think. I say, this is what I think. I would want to tell the other party where I'm at so that, A, you can build trust. B, both sides of the arrangement agree on what they're getting and what they're looking for. Because if you're on the left side and you know you're on the left side and they're looking for somebody who has all the answers, your natural response will be to give them broad sweeping rules of thumb that sound like right answers. But what you should actually be doing when you're on the left side of the curve is asking questions, tossing out theories, and then having them be chopped up and reorganized. So your value is actually in being outside the organization and asking the questions and seeing if they fit, as opposed to giving these broad sweeping results or answers. Whereas if they're expecting you to be at 1010 on the knowledge curve, and you're just tossing out sweeping statements because you're on the left side of the, the I think I know curve, that's a bad fit. And then if one day you wake up and you you realize you're on the left side of the I think I know curve, right? And you start asking questions that are going to go, wait, wait, I, I just want answers from you. Why aren't you giving me answers? I think one of the, probably the differences, and, and you, you can maybe do this as a self-test, if you're an advisor, are you very, very confident in what you're telling somebody or are you somewhat not confident? The less confident you are, the more likely you are to be coming from a place of deeper knowledge, I would say. It's it's one of those inverse things, right? So that's that's really good. So let's uh, talk now about uh, somebody looking for an advisor. So this is this is part this is number three. If you're looking for an advisor, what yeah, great question. I think that about? summarizes the last two points pretty well. If you're looking for an advisor, one, understand what you're looking for in an advisor. Are you looking for somebody who is globally aware of where they are on the curve? They have some theories or they have some knowledge, right? You could be on either side and you know whether you're expecting them to ask the right questions or give you the right answers or some combination of the both and then look for the right person to fit that. So on the, on the soon to be advisee side, understand what it is you're really looking for and why there's value in either sides of that. And then reach out to the people who, well, actually just reach out to anybody you think makes sense, but test them through to understand where they're at in the curve and, and how aware they are of where they're at on the curve. And then sort of the last tactical piece would be as you're negotiating or as you're trying to firm something up to make it real, point out that you're giving them value, right? Not very many advisees talk about the value of just being an advisor for the company because you're seeing things that you wouldn't see otherwise. You're getting insights. You're hearing questions that you wouldn't hear otherwise. So as the soon-to-be advisee, use that. Talk about how much value it's going to bring that somebody can see the inside track of a growing company or they can understand the questions that you're tackling day-to-day. 
That's a good point. Great. Well, so this has been a very interesting conversation, Rob, and hopefully valuable to our listeners. And hopefully get some feedback. I'd, I'd love to hear what other people's experience with being advisors or finding advisors or um, you know trying to become an advisor. That'd be very interesting to get some feedback from folks on that. Can't wait to can't wait. All right, to hear folks. It's time to wrap up this episode and the complete interview with Hubert by highlighting three actionable takeaways. First of all. As Hubert mentioned, you really need a central repository, not just about the features you're building, which you probably have already in JIRA or something like that, but at the mar about the market inputs you're gathering to help you find and validate the business problems you're solving. This information is coming from support and design and product and sales and marketing in your own conversations with customers and prospects. A central store of this input and the relationships between this information you're getting and the product decisions it supports helps to mitigate some of the cognitive biases that Hubert mentioned. And by gathering all this information together, you're better able to detect market signals in all the noise and make better holistic decisions about the product. Secondly, as Hubert pointed out many times in the interview, context is king. And meaning, in this case, what is the business problem that you're solving with your product? Make sure your team and your whole organization knows not just what features you're delivering, but what problems those features solve and for whom. This not only simplifies many of the issues of prioritization, it also serves as a basis for communicating across segments of your organization so everyone is on the same page. And finally, clarity and communication are at the heart of the product leader's role. The better we get at clearly communicating about prioritization, context, and decisions made in the product team across the organization, the better the organization can execute on creating and selling solutions to customers. I'm excited to use the concepts Hubert points out to make progress here. Now, Rob and I want to reiterate our thanks to Hubert for participating in our new podcast as our first interview. If you want to learn more about Product Board, you can visit productboard.com. You can follow Hubert on Twitter at hpalan, which is H-P-A-L-A-N. And Product Board tweets at Product Board. Very straightforward there. And now, before we go, we've got to ask two small favors from you. First, of course, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Second, please rate us on iTunes, and if you use another podcast app, please recommend us on that app as well. That would be awesome. Finally, we really appreciate getting your feedback, so we'd love to connect with you on alltheresponsibility.com, where you can also find links to our Medium and Twitter accounts, some notes on this show and on every show as we release them. Absolutely. So I think that's perfect timing to wrap up the episode. Uh, we've already gone over the last few items, the takeaways. So as Niels pointed out, we're looking forward to hearing your feedback. First things first, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, that's alltheresponsibility.com backslash iTunes. That'll take you straight to our listing. Within there, you can click on rate and go ahead and give us what you think is a good rating. We'd also love to hear your feedback there. You can join the mailing list at alltheresponsibility.com or you can discuss with us on Twitter at A-T-R-N-O-T-A. That's at A-T-R-N-O-T-A. All the responsibility, none of the authority. Until next time, this is Nels Davis and Rob McGroarty. Thanks for listening.